0: Welcome to Sex Lives, New York Magazine's podcast about sex. I'm Maureen O'Connor. For this, our second-to-last episode of Sex Lives, we are taking a trip back through New York history, both New York the Magazine and New York the City, where, in the summer of 1965, a young writer and art world-it girl named Linda Rosencrantz embarked on an experiment. She was staying that summer at a beach house in East Hampton and, using the huge reel-to-reel audio equipment of the time, decided to record all of her friends' conversations on tape. They talked about love, sex, marriage, orgies, LSD, and the fabulous parties they went to. And all of those conversations eventually were edited into a book called Talk, which scandalized readers when Linda published it in 1968. 1968 was also the year when New York Magazine first launched, And one of the very first issues features a giant picture of Linda lying in her bikini in the sand in East Hampton next to her audio recording equipment, as well as two articles debating the merits of the book that scandalized the entire city that summer. Linda is a much quieter, shyer woman today, and she came and joined us in studio with some of her old tapes, which we've digitized so that we can listen, talk about talk, remember the summer of 65 and find out how her life shaped up. Does it feel like it's been 50 years?
1: No. Nothing feels like 50. I mean, it's sort of unbelievable that it's been that long. What? Help me if you can, i The idea came to me very spontaneously. I can still remember exactly where I was standing. I was about to leave for the summer in East Hampton, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to take a tape recorder and just see what happens? So that's what I did. It was a time where a lot of that kind of thing was going on, sort of nonfiction fiction and... uh, Documentary films and new journalism, and uh, I was involved in the art world. and And several people were painting from photographs, Mm -hmm. so that's sort of akin to what I was thinking of doing. You know, Chuck Close painted you once.
0: Yes, he did. (laughs) (laughs) the most famous painter of photographs.
1: I mean, after all this time, people still come over to me and say, "Aren't you a Chuck Close?" What was your life like then? Well, I had a, always had a regular job, a full time mm-hmm. job. I was working for an auction house which became Sotheby's. It was okay. then Park Burnett, and doing publicity kind of work and had always written. But I was friendly with a lot of artists. Mm-hmm. Never have been really in the literary world and with writers. We were sort of in the thick, at the edge
0: of the thick of things with Warhol and going to those parties and uh-huh. things like that. So you take. A tape recorder with you, essentially, for what? A like, big,
1: heavy reel-to-reel.
0: But they were very clumsy and primitive. You had a sort of like summer beach rental with yeah. some of your friends. No, so you just didn't...
1: I had the house myself. Oh, okay. But friends came. Mm-hmm. And the other woman in the book was there most of the summer. Mm-hmm. And the
0: guy had a house of his own. Who are else. known as Emily and Vincent in the book. Yes. And you become Marsha. Yes. I assume, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why did you change
1: the names? I don't think they would have wanted their real names. Oh, okay. So once theirs were changed, mine was changed.
0: Why, why did you choose Marsha? Sounded like a
1: regular Jewish name of that period. <laughs> <laughs> like Linda.
0: That's fair. How enthusiastic were your friends and acquaintances to be recorded that they summer? Were,
1: originally, I was going to do more than just the three of us. Mm-hmm. There were about 20 people on some of the tapes... Was, or indecipherable because of it. Uh, but the two main people were very excited about it and eager to do it.
0: You didn't listen, give me, give
1: me I that... I will tell you something anywhere. Would you, do you want a cock or not? No. you a with the and the hamburger? I never saw it. Yes, you did it in blue with the baggie in time. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my birthday present? Oh, listen to the her again. Instead of the door? No. Do my doors, baby. Do you remember that? Well, I don't remember the conversation. I mean, it was <laughs> typical, but it sounds so stupid.
0: <laughs> Do you rem- Who are you talking to? Vincent. That's So that's the main male character. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're a, yeah.
1: You're a great mind that hasn't even begun to express itself. I mean, I've
0: been feeling very stupid you. You kidding?
1: It's like, it's in, in a, a car. At uh, the beginning of the summer, I thought of you as and me as boy and girl. I feel of as now as man and woman. Really? Definitely. No, I mean that. That's a very important thing to have. Yeah.
0: At... I thought of you and me as boy and girl. As oh. soon as he said that, I recognized that. I remembered that that was actually in... Um... Here, it's right here. In Marsha and Vincent Drive Back to New York, one of the later chapters yeah, in the book. yeah, yeah. Tell me about your relationship with Vincent. I mean, that's probably one of the things that is most interesting to readers i mean the the relationships between all three of you is really interesting
1: well it was probably more important to me than my relationships with the heterosexual
0: guys that i was <laughs> yeah. going
1: out with i mean it was such a degree of intimacy the three of us
0: equally and we're still very good friends is he so he was um a painter throughout yeah. this book still painter, while you're being a writer? Still painting every day. Uh-huh.
1: But the thing is that he has had two wives since this. Really? Book. Yes. Children. He's now a grandfather. Oh wow.
0: Does he still identify as gay? No. Did he identify as gay in the book? Or yeah, definitely.
1: Yes? Definitely,
0: yes. Oh. What changed? Well
1: he met a woman. Uh-huh. And uh it developed into a marriage. Wow. And then um, he met another woman, <laughs> developed into another marriage. But he always loved women so much mm-hmm. that it wasn't that shocking to a lot of people.
0: Does he think of himself as bisexual now? Not at or all. Or nothing no. No. does it even come up? No. Okay. That's so interesting because, I mean, one of the most fascinating things about this book to me is that it seems like... An early example of the sort of straight girl, gay man friendship that we see all the time
1: in literature and pop culture. Yeah, absolutely, I agree.
0: You guys have such um, sort of very sexually frank conversations throughout this book, which is why, I mean, it's sort of the ultimate sexy New York City (laughs) summer read. Well, it
1: was the 60s. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, my favorite chapter is the chapter Marsha tells Vincent about hanging on a wall. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> will you tell us that story? There it is. I mean, <laughs> was this shocking material in the sixties?
1: Well, it's really interesting the different reactions then and, and now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that all the reviews and everything were about the sex and how shocking. Mm-hmm. In fact, when it came out in England, a local vicar gave a sermon against it.
0: What did he say?
1: This shouldn't have been published. It's so shocking. What was that like for you? I thought it was funny, actually, I think. <laughs> and this time when it came out 50 years later, mm-hmm. none of the nobody mentioned the sex. You know, this is post-girls, post-broad city. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different world.
0: It does have the same feeling of those like a broad city or of friends talking to each other in a really candid way. Yeah, I think candid way. A,
1: a precursor in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I personally got some strong reactions from people. Back, my, back when it first published? My parents, yeah. Oh, really? How did they react? My mother went to a therapist the next day. Oh, really? <laughs> Pretty much. My father treated the book as an object. He never opened it. Ah. He showed it to people. My daughter wrote a book. Great picture on the back. He never read it. And his friends would say, do you really w- realize what's in this book? No, no.
0: <laughs> That's kind of the way I hope my parents regard like New York Magazine when they get it. <laughs> I don't need them to actually read what I'm writing about sex,
1: right? <laughs> and it, I was frightened about what would ha- might happen at work mm-hmm. because it was a very, very, very straight community. At that time, the company had had just been taken over by the British company Sotheby's. Mm-hmm. So when it finally did come out. Much to my surprise the head of the company asked me if he could buy the manu- the original manuscript so he wasn't too shocked.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Why? To Cuz he thought it was as as an a, important, you know, historical document. Yeah. Where is it now? Do you know? I is have he... it, but mm-hmm. you know,
1: yeah. Originally the original transcript was like a thousand or 1500 single space pages. Wow. And it took a year for me to edit it down it took Mm -hmm. a year to transcribe with terrible you know machinery or whatever yeah and then another year to shape it into the book that it became Mm -hmm.
0: what was it like for you to have that type of sort of attention and scrutiny on your life all of a sudden when the book came out
1: well it was mixed you know some people really liked it some Mm -hmm. some critics some important people I think I quickly got over the the embarrassment. You were embarrassed. Yes, I was. <laughs> Why? Well, the chapter that you mentioned—that
0: <laughs> was the most fabulous one. I think I mentioned this to you, but my friends and I to this day, in this scene when you're hanging on the wall, you're describing to Vincent a man who liked to tie you up, and you describe how he handcuffs you at one point and walks away. And Vincent's like, well, what did you do? And you go, oh, well, I lit a cigarette and I found an issue of The New Republic. And so I just smoked a cigarette and read The New Republic until he returned. Right. My friends and I use that as um, whenever you're waiting for something to happen during sex. It's like, well, I was reading The New Republic and waiting for something. <laughs> I mean, it's just so fabulous, all this stuff. Or the detail is so incredible and so real of like, what do well, you it do when real. you're yeah, yeah. bored and waiting around for someone to finish whatever weird thing they're getting off on you know? right, right. <laughs> do you still know that guy he's no longer do you, how many of the people who sort of come up in this book are people that you still know well the
1: AIDS epidemic wiped out a lot of those people mm. who were mentioned but there's a character Timothy Cullen we're still friends
0: is that his real name no no okay. can you tell us who any of these people are I want
1: to go look up all their art. Well, actually, at one of the the uh, book signings I did, he's in L.A., mm-hmm. he proudly stood up and said, I am Timothy Cullen.
0: His, he's one of it, the heartthrobs yeah, yeah, he, of the book. Well, he
1: was, he was the guy, guy at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. His name is Mike Todd. I think that's okay to okay. say. Okay. What about Zeke Sutherland, who's Gone. the bad boy artist yeah. that everyone's in love with, but he's kind of a jerk to everyone. No, he was pretty awful to people. <laughs> to women certainly.
1: He's no longer. Oh, okay. I
0: mean a lot of these people are gone. Yeah.
1: Long time.
0: There's this moment in the book when you guys start playing the tapes for one another and then you sort of end up in a series of sort of these like intense. It reminds me, it's almost like a precursor to the way people today relate when they say, Oh, do you see this thing someone texted about you or that you have these like communication? Yeah. Can you tell me a little about that? Like what did the project of recording your friends? Did that affect your friendships or the way you with the way you related to one another?
1: Well, there was somebody that who we referred to as Sick Joan, mm-hmm. and she was very hurt by that. Oh, out. so that she was more a friend of Emily's than mine, but that was a mistake. Anyway, I don't think I should have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the tape recorder was running most of the time, so you you did become pretty much. Unaware of it. Mm-hmm. Never fully. Uh uh-uh. oh.
0: Tell her to fuck off and leave you alone. You're my no, day. So, back then in 1968, when the book finally published, New York Magazine ran two side by side articles next to that fabulous photo of you in a bikini on the beach right. recording. And one thing you actually said in one of the interviews is you said that you were working on another book called X about your ex boyfriends recording them. Did
1: that ever happen? Well, I did the book. It hasn't been published. In fact, I've gone back to it now. Oh, really? To see, I mean, because now it's a historical document. What I did was I invited, I don't remember the number, 13, 15 ex-boyfriends mm-hmm. to dinner separately, and the idea was I was going to cook the same dinner for each one, mm-hmm. sort of changed along the way, and re- turn on the re- tape recorder the minute they came to the door, and... Turn it, you know, leave it on till the end. Mm -hmm. So I did it. And um, still not quite sure if it works as a book. What happened Uh, when you did that? What happened in the tapes? Yeah. I mean, well, each one is so different. I mean, one person came over and brought his dog and was sort of chasing his dog the whole time. Uh Some of them, two people, I think, spent the night, (laughs) so to speak. (laughs) for your sex tape um, but they were all very different and like one is a real political document mm-hmm. now because he was involved with the Gippies and
0: mm-hmm.
1: all the social issues of that time I still have the book with all the menus and what I served each person uh-huh. <laughs> Were you on good terms with all your exes then? I always stayed good on good terms oh, okay. with almost all
0: is that just the way you are? Are you like that with friends too? Yeah, <laughs> I suppose you have to be to be able to create a real document of your life. You must obviously be on. Relatively and it's based in terms on friendship.
1: And that book mm-hmm. book is about friendship, intimate
0: friendship. You mentioned to me that the book played a role in how you met your husband. It did. When the
1: book came out in London, I the job that I had, I was really lucky because. They didn't have auctions during the summer, so I had the whole summer off.
0: Ah, and is that why you had the whole summer in Right, I see, it was out fantastic. in East Hampton? It was fantastic, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I was, was th- wondering if you were driving back and forth or what. Oh, that no, was something no. I couldn't quite calculate. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think I, I would have six to eight weeks off, mm-hmm. half pay. When I was in London, after the book came out in London, and, and it was very well received in England, except for that vicar, I met a guy who actually I had dinner with last night. We had dinner with last night. And he was to always talking about this friend of his, Christopher, who had just come over to America to become a curator at the Walker Art Center. And you have to meet him. You have
0: to meet him. Oh, I grew up in Minneapolis. Oh, really? Yeah. It's yeah. funny. I... He loved Minneapolis. All my first, like, first time I smoked weed, everything happened in the Walker Art Sculpture Garden. Oh, yeah? (laughs) That's where all the misbehaving (laughs) teens would (laughs) end up because it seemed kind of like, oh, Mom, I'm going to the museum. Yeah. But then you can lie around outside and make out or whatever you do. Anyways, (laughs) so he was working (laughs) at at the Walker Art Center. At the Walker, yeah.
1: And the English guy came over to New York. At one point, he sent Chris a copy of Talk. You have to read this. You have to read this. And so Chris read it and we met and he moved to New York and I was editing a magazine at that time called Auction at the Auction Gallery. Mm -hmm. And so I started using him as a writer and we started working together and then he had the idea that we should try and write a screenplay from Talk. Ah, So we spent a lot of time together
0: and things developed, but actually we really met through Talk. Oh wow! So then you worked together. Did the screenplay happen? You guys happened. No. Yeah, we <laughs> happened. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that was great. How long have you been with him then? Well, we got married in '73. Okay, but I guess we met '69, '70.
0: Pretty soon after this book, you ceased to be the sort of single girl about town. I mean, not that you weren't a girl about town. I assume I was. A- well, <laughs> in my mind, you still are. But uh,
1: actually, I have a a piece coming out soon, where I refer to myself as one of the art tarts. Art tarts, yes. That one's about Gregory Corso. In the, okay. In the Beats. In the piece, it talks about how Emily and I, and you know, there were all, there was a whole little group of people who went out with artists, and mm-hmm. uh, you sort of were, in a way. Um, Judged by how famous the artists were, how, how, you know, <laughs> how much space they got in the art magazines.
0: Tell me about discovering sex in the middle of the sexual revolution. I mean, what was it just like then to be meeting all these sort of exciting people, people who it seems like their work was exploring sex and...
1: Well, you know, it's it's just what you hear. Everything <laughs> was free and easy and loose and, you know, people were... Not being that responsible and lots of abortions, lots of—I don't know what it's like now, really. But then there was a real sense of freedom.
0: Mm -hmm. Was that something that—had you been brought up with a sense of freedom about sex? No. Not at all. Another one of my favorite chapters, there's a chapter called Marsha's Love Story. Is it strange to be looking back at stuff you said when you were— Yeah, —34? I really relate to Marsha in this moment— Marsha, being you, she says, my average relationship with a man—actual talking oh, to each yeah. other, loving each other, relating to each other, sleeping with each other—is usually one to two weeks in duration. The amount of time I spend feeling rejected, crying over it, not seeing him, but living it out, is three to four years. Such a true dilemma. <laughs> is that a phenomenon that one grows out of with time, or you just meet the person who you I, don't break up with, and then you're good? Yeah, I think I think it's more that. Yeah. <laughs> How did the the men you dated react to the book, or did they?
1: I forget. What what name did he wind up with? The bad boy Zeke, because he went through a few nicknames. He thought I didn't go far enough with tapes. It should have been filmed, or it should have been you know, because he was an artist and he was making some films himself. Mm-hmm. Timothy Cullen liked it a lot. He liked being in it. The Wall Guy. Mm-hmm. I think probably was angry. He never said it, but oh, really? probably, probably, yeah. I mean, he's
0: very disguised. He saw it and he probably recognized it. Oh, he recognized yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> how do you forget? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you were working on it, did you realize how controversial it would be once people read it in the world? Like, had you anticipated that?
1: You know, I think I did and I didn't. I think. In a way, I I was so deep into it that I I, I don't know if I thought about it that much. I'm sure I did to some extent, certainly.
0: Do you think that this book shaped what happened next in your life in terms of your career?
1: Not really. I
0: think if if that second book had come out, that would have... But you did remain a writer. Yeah. My very favorite thing that you have since, as I don't know why this, as like a sort of second act I'm just fascinated with, is that you became the proprietor of a very popular baby naming website. Yeah.
1: Well, I had always been fascinated by names Mm -hmm. from early childhood, made lists and wrote stories just so that I could name the characters. And then I met a, a woman who was equally fascinated with names and at the time, she was an editor at Glamour magazine. Mm-hmm. And I s- proposed a, an article on names, baby names. It wasn't even baby names. It was just names. And she looked at it and she said, well, this should be a book. Why mm-hmm. don't we do it together? And so we became partners way back then. We wrote 10 books. Those books became the database for this big website. Nameberry. Nameberry.com.
0: What is it like to know that you have some influence in such a critical moment of a parent's life and a child's life? You know, people have
1: have said that we sort of revolutionized baby naming because people, before our first book came out, which was called Beyond Jennifer and Jason, Mm -hmm. the only books available were like dictionaries. But these were very highly opinionated books and categorizing trends and things like that. And it really seems to have changed the way people thought about names, because at that time, people were just picking the classic names. I think now, you know, it's swung so far in the other direction, but people The
0: arms up. race of
1: trendy <laughs> names. People making up names and stuff like that. But I think it's a real accomplishment. I'm really proud of that.
0: So when talk was re-released by the New York Review of Books Classics. Um, That's when it sort of came back. in. Yeah,
1: which was a thrilling thing for me, Mm -hmm. having come back to life that way. How did that happen? Well, strangely enough, I was on Amazon and came across a review or a comment from somebody who had picked up a copy of the old book. He was in some house in East Hampton and it was lying around. The comment was, New York Review should republish this. Mm-hmm. So that put the thought in my mind, and I, I ah. knew somebody who knew people there, and he brought it to them. And and they've been fantastic. I love those people.
0: So you brought it to them, and they said, let's do it. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. How different does it feel now? Well, I'm...
1: the fact that they called it a class, you know, it's in their classics, <laughs> puts a whole different
0: light it on it. It is a classic. It should be. I mean, I think it's the, the ultimate... People say the word beach read as an insult sometimes, but it's the ultimate beach read in that, like, that is what, when you are on Fire Island or whatever, like, beach in New York, like, right. that's exactly what you want to be reading, in my opinion.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: <laughs> How did it feel to look back at it, I guess, when you were preparing it? Did you reread it then? And I reread it, and
1: it was kind of fresh. I, I had forgotten parts of it, uh-huh. some of the more shocking parts. I was a little <laughs> shocked when I read it, but I, I thought it was good. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just so enthusiastic and so
0: supportive and great. How do you want this book to live in the world?
1: As something that had an influence, maybe on, on later writing, and mm-hmm. that broke certain barriers. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was a brave book to write, in that, the, the people weren't writing books like that. Certainly, mm-hmm. women weren't very much then. And the fact of it falling somewhere in between fiction and nonfiction. Right. Which is much more common
0: now, but there hadn't been much before. What do you have in your notes? Is this your timeline of how everything happened? This is my timeline. I
1: sat down with my husband and tried to figure out what I had done with these these years. Yes. Will you tell me? It starts (laughs) with talk being published. Uh Uh-huh. And then um, 68. in sixty eight, in sixty eight, and then seventy was published in England. And then about auction magazine and my wild girl reputation at work. And what was your wild girl
0: reputation like at work?
1: There weren't many many young people. It was a very mm-hmm. old company, and so I was the young miniskirted girl writing these things. And I was also writing some articles for Cosmo, a couple with Emily actually. Okay, together. So then I met my husband in '69. We got together in '70, 70, '71. Got married in '73. We adopted a daughter in '75. Has she ever read Talk? Yeah. What does she think? Well, she's she likes it. Yeah. Um, then the Chuck Close painting was '75, '76, mm-hmm. and that brought me another kind of a t- different attention. And then I started writing a syndicated newspaper column, which I did for 25 years, on collectibles and antiques. In 86, Pam, my partner, and I started working on the name books. Mm-hmm. In 88, Beyond Jennifer and Jason was published. Then 90, moved to L.A., and I wrote a memoir called My Life as a List, which is in list form and a couple of other books. Then 2008, Nameberry started. And Mm -hmm. 2015, the New York Review talk. That's about it. That's my life. 50
0: years. What a life. It it was full and rich. How does, having had a sort of glamorous wildlife, how do you end up settling down and holding still that way? Or do you? I still get out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Especially in L.A., it's been a big change. Uh Uh-huh. but, Did you think you would get married? Yeah, I always thought I would get married. But, you know, I was like 38, I was getting a little, uh, you know, am I, sh- is this really going to happen? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always wanted marriage and children. Mm-hmm. And Emily has had three marriages. Oh, wow. Had she been married in the book? Yeah, she had been married. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then two more, and she had children.
0: I, told my, I went, through my, I went with, through my doctor the fantasies I have about being in the store. Oh, yeah? You wanna hear what they are? They're so sad. Uh,
1: fantasies are, I, I come onto the stage, and there's a ro- all of a sudden this big, hot, wet, black, dark womb full of love, this theater. Yeah. It bursts into a plover. And who's in the
0: audience? You're in the audience, all my friends in the audience, all of my friends who, who love me and think I'm brilliant and talented, but basically funky, they're all in the audience.
1: My mother's in the audience, it's the whole family book is in the audience. Guess who isn't in the audience? Ellen. Me, because I'm on the stage. Mm. And either is, guess who? My am a doctor.
0: Huh? He's not in the audience, why should he be? I have only have a limited amount of tickets for opening night. <laughs> Did she end up working as an actress through life?
1: Yep. She had some small parts in big films. Mm -hmm. She she, she worked a lot.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah.
1: She's a good actress.
0: How often do you see either her or Vincent these days? Are you still in touch? Very closely in touch, yeah. A lot of reminiscing. How did he feel when the book was reissued?
1: Very supportive, very happy about it. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, having... Had that other past, I wondered, you know, what his children knew or what. Obviously, he's very open with them, too. So it was no problem.
0: What did his children think? Do you know? I don't know. I should ask. There's something really fun about discovering. Well, discovering your parents' past is always a sort of. Yeah. A source of fascination and surprise. Surprise,
1: you know. (laughs) Did they have a pass before me? Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You can't not be completely self-centered when you think about your parents.
1: Yeah, but my daughter, I think, gets a real kick out of it. Mm -hmm. Sexy mama, sexy
0: mama. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming in. I'm so happy. After recording, Linda flew back to Los Angeles but realized she had left out a crucial piece of the story. So we called her back to hear what that was.
1: Well, actually, there are two things. I wanted to give full credit by name to the person who introduced me to my husband, Tony Shafrazi, who went on to become a major art dealer in New York. I also wanted to give full credit by name to my partner, Pamela redmond Satran, who has been my work wife for all these years with the name books and with uh, nameberry.com.
0: That's it for Sex Lives. Sex Lives is produced by Afim Shapiro. Thanks also to Jason Gambrell, who digitized those 50-year-old tapes for us. And thanks also to Andy Bowers at Panoply. Thanks for listening, and we've got one episode left. Tune in next week to break up with Sex Lives.